Hey everybody, this is Matt Hedinger, your Elector co-host. And man, we hope that you are enjoying listening to these stories as much as we are enjoying sitting down together and recording them for you. This episode is no exception. And in fact, we've actually included some kind of sloppy beginnings because I think it shows really just how much fun we have together getting ready to do this show. It's really a great excuse for us just to hang out together and be friends. But this episode, we had two guests. We had our our main guest, Mr. Steve Roystein, who we'll interview and learn more about his life, and also Joe Cardona. And man, did I have a blast sitting down with these two guys and getting to know them. And you know, it's not just about the stories that we record on the show. We, we want to hear your stories, too. So please, check out our Facebook page. Check out our website. Twitter, Instagram, and share those stories with us, because that's what this whole thing is really about. And now, I give to you, Elector. As the Torciadores, aka the Cigar Rollers, quietly rolled their cigars, and the Despaliadoras, a.k.a. the strippers, stripped the stems from the tobacco leaves. They were entertained, informed, inspired, and enlightened by literature and the daily news. So began the tradition of El Lector, the reader. This is the El Lector podcast, stories and cigars from the exiled South. We hope you'll enjoy it. is a special night so it's a every night is special but this one's extra special because we got joe and steve here with us and but, <laughs> but let me just say let me just say it's it's always special when joe shows up but it's extra special because sure. steve roystein the great steve roystein is here with us tonight so thank you yes welcome steve thank steve roystein much. is the is well i'm gonna let you talk but hold on let's let's do this first. let's do the cigars first because this is the fun part and then we'll get into the other. Then fun we'll part. get into the not so yeah, fun not part. So fun yeah. part. The boring, yeah. yeah. So uh, let's light up here. Um, what are we smoking? You said you had the asylum, and we're doing something a little weird and special. Hamlet. Have any of us done this? No. no. Never smoked a snake before. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wait. Hold on. The paper's on the floor. Let me get this thing. Racky, you smoking? All right. No. no. So, not, not, tonight. Tonight. not tonight. Not tonight. These are called. She's driving. <laughs> this is a Hamlet uh, from Rocky Patel. 
but it's a culebra, and a culebra is three cigars tied into like a you know twisted into a knot of knot of amazing tobacconess. Yeah, it's a series of bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> wrapped in a bow, and that I've, we've disassembled and are now going to smoke. While Matt's smoking his uh, his Asylum eighty yeah. gauge U boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually PVC pipe. It's not even a. Yeah. Oh, we're out of gas. It's like a barbershop pole. Yeah, I, I actually really dig this. I like the the kind of crafted wrapper with it. I've, I've seen some really neat designs. Yeah, I need a match but, or something. But I, I, it's strictly aesthetic. I don't think it. I don't taste it. I just yeah I appreciate the artistry behind doing a wrapper like that. Man, it always sucks wrapper. when your lighter runs out of gas. Hate that. You know, Rocky's got to be careful with the San Pellegrino. I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. 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 By the way, yeah, it's excellent with yeah. rum. It's it's insane. Yeah, well, anything with rum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, wow, thanks. That's you know, citrusy. Yeah. Rum is yeah. like the Cuban uh, yeah, elixir. Windex, Windex elixir, like, like yeah. from uh, the, my big fat Greek wedding. Right. Yeah, you have a cold? How about some rum? Put some rum exactly. on it. It'll be fine. Big bubble rum. Big bubble rum, yeah. Vicks vapor up to the uninitiated. Yeah, Matt, that's Vicks vapor up in Cuban. In Cuban grandmother? It's Vicks vapor rum. Big Vaporu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got, that was Big spot on. I, listen, I, I'm an idiot. I can't learn languages, but I'm a hell of a you parrot. Can f- that's I'm it. a good parrot. <laughs> that's I, I hear a noise, <laughs> I can make the noise. My wife, she's like a brilliant. She can learn languages, but when she speaks Spanish, she sounds like John Wayne. Yeah. All right, I got to keep talking. I'm, I got to get some. <laughs> it's like, gee, are you going to walk into a bar and fight people? What are you doing? <laughs> All right, so it's just us now. I've heard, by the way, that um, I don't know if it's still this way, but apparently in Spain, um, in the 60s, they had a law that you couldn't have uh, an American film uh, without actually dubbing it in in Spanish. They wouldn't do the subtitles. So John Wayne movies were voiced by the most macho Spanish voice that they could find. It, Señores. With vamos, and it's like, and, and coming out of John Wayne's mouth, it would be like you mean a, out of Marion's mouth. Marion, yeah, easy tiger, easy <laughs> tiger. I won't have the Duke be besmirched on this show. Yes, <laughs> it was indeed his real first name, Marion. That's true. That's Did you true. know? Speaking of John Wayne, that the Republican Party approached John Wayne about running for president. Is that right? That. Do you know what his response was? There's no way this country would ever elect an actor as a president. Ah. Hmm. And um, let it know. No, I'm not going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> thought it. A reality star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Guys, light up here. You, got, you, got, you lit up already? I'm lit up, and oh, the cigar okay. is too. Well, we need a picture of this too. So. <laughs> what a bizarre uh, thing. Do you see this thing? It's like you know a cartoon. What, you know, no, you know what it looks like? The the yeah. cheapest fireworks you can buy. The little snakes. Right. The little, little turtles. The dud. The actual yeah, yeah. dud. This is the dud. That's All the right. dud. Hold these things up so Raggy can take a picture of it. And I mean the cigars. Go. <laughs> what's your, right what's here. your Wi Fi? Which one's yours? Oh, I forgot. AT&T, ah. SK. Oh, I don't have. I don't know. I don't have the fancy one. You take a picture with that the, one's pretty damn fancy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the culebras. The uh, the Iraqi Patel culebra. What do you think? 
So far, so good. It's actually nice. Yeah, it's a nice. But I have a bad feeling they could take nice. a turn for the worse. It's, no, it's got, <laughs> so to speak. It's got, says, says the man smoking a U-boat. It's well, got the Maduro wrapper, which I like. And, uh, you know, kind of rustic. I don't like a stuffy, snobby cigar usually. This is definitely not snobby. Yeah. You know, this is... <laughs> You could smoke that thing around a corner. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I know you don't like it when I smoke, honey, so I bought an angular cigar to yeah. point the other way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. So, anyway, we're here tonight with, uh, like, as I said before, and I mean it, the great Steve Roystein. Well. Uh, you, know, you are the, t- tell us who you are, tell us, because I, I, I don't know what to call you, the director, the, the, the founder, what, what, what are you two? Uh, Both of uh, those things. Palo is the name of the band that mm-hmm. uh, we started uh, in 2003, and uh, before that I did a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but uh, A few things. Yeah, but that... Uh, <laughs> That story is not necessary. Uh, the band Palo was started as a sort of as a reaction of a lot of the th- things that had happened to me during my musical career okay. uh, prior to that. And I think it sort of uh, informed my some of the decisions I made as far as the way that I decided to form the group and the format that we started with. It was just kind of an experiment. And it was designed to have fun. Uh, so we call the music Afro-Cuban funk, which really doesn't mean anything, but it's the start of a conversation and kind of gives people maybe a slight idea of what it's about. It's really tropical Afro-Cuban music. funk now means something. Well, maybe, it, yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, so. I didn't want to call it salsa because that's almost like false advertising because people, you know, salsa fans, when they think of salsa, they think of a typical large band 10 12 15 people with a full brass section and the whole deal and um, we perform on stage with five people and the only horn is a saxophone and we got a couple percussion players i'm messing around with the electronics and mixing the loops and the beats live on stage and we have this spectacular lead vocalist named leslie cartaya who Mm -hmm. makes the whole thing really one yeah because uh we are a song-oriented band. It's not jamming. I mean, there is a lot of jamming, a lot of improvisation, which was designed into it. But I've always loved writing songs. So I knew that in order to pull off a song, you have to have a great singer. And Leslie is a fantastic singer. She is amazing. Yeah, she is. So I want to get back to, to you, but I, I, it would be rude of me not to introduce everybody else in the room. Si, senor. And I am going to ask you about all the stuff before. So Okay. Okay, it's all here. So, uh, okay, so I, we have with us uh, J- Mr. Jose Cardona, or better known as Joe Cardona. Notice Joe. he didn't say the great. <laughs> <laughs> I did earlier. Yeah. But, yeah. You, yeah. you keep it up, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, I'm going to do some talking about you, Steve. That's okay. Yeah. Let Joe uh, tell us a little bit about yourself as well. And I, I know you're, we, you're here because of the steak. Yeah. But you're also yeah. here because... I popped in for dinner. Yeah, yeah, Ceci yeah. called and said we're having steak. Mm-hmm. And Rocky was like, uh, Dad, Joe's here again. He's, <laughs> do you want me to open... at the door. Do you, <laughs> do you want me to open the door, Dad? <laughs> um, uh, but no, uh, it's always wonderful to be at the Ruiz home. It's, um, it's, it's fantastic. And, and then I heard Steve was here, and I contemplated not coming. Uh, but, uh, right. 
but uh, I'm, I'm. But I'm here, so that's. But Matt about. came and look, right. this is Absolutely. yeah. We became fast friends and yes. forget Steve. <laughs> what a bore. Uh, but uh, thank you for having me. We're glad to have you here, Joe. Yeah. As always, thank you, uh, Matt. Is uh, this is Matt Hedinger is one of my. Are we allowed to say last names? I can edit. Sure, it sure, sure, whatever. Sure. Why not? I, so to really explain who I am, we have to explain who you are first. Okay. And I've decided that, you know, you are my elector. Okay. Marcos That's Marcos is this sketchy. interesting character that, like, <laughs> pulls people together that aren't supposed to be together. Uh, and this is a podcast about stories and, and really about how we, not just stories, but love stories. Like, how much we love Miami and we love cigars and, and all the, the co-hosts of this show really love each other. Mm. Um. So, you know, if you're the elector, I'm the plucky sidekick. I think that's my role on the show. <laughs> that's nice. You're 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 the uh you're the uh the movie maven. Well, no, I, maven's not the right word. Well, right, cuz that's a chick, but <laughs> a for, chick. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> first and foremost, no, I I would say Victor's our expert. Mm. I I love movies. Okay. Um I, no, I'm I'm like hero support. I'm the sidekick. That's now you're one of my best friends, so that's uh, that's 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 what Matt is right here, and then you know, so this is like a we're gonna stop gushing, okay? But we're gonna <laughs> <laughs> enough with the gushing. Enough of the sucking. Said yeah. the guy that we was introduced as the great, the yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'll we take can, it. I'm not gonna live that down. <laughs> <laughs> so we go. We we we're yeah. So this is a podcast about stories, and and we 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 like telling stories that are relevant to Miami or that make Miami what it is, right? Miami, we think Miami's a pretty cool place. People, you know, trash it sometimes, but we, we think it's a great place to be. And, uh, and, and out of love for Miami, we, we're doing this show. And out of love for cigars as well, you know? So um, we're glad to have you here tonight, Steve. Thank you. So I, I guess I want to find out first, how, where are you from originally? I was born in West Hartford, Connecticut. How uh, a, a, a young Jewish boy from West Hartford, Connecticut, became a Cuban in Miami. Well, um, so I want to find out about like where you were born and, or when you were born, how you got here. Nineteen fifty nine. My uh. um, my grandparents uh, moved to Key Biscayne. My grandfather retired early, and uh, basically, my mom and my aunt, her sister found themselves both divorced with kids around the same time, late 60s, and we all followed them down here. And uh, I was immediately just in love with the city, um, diving into canals and Mm -hmm. just having fun. Sorry, how old were you? Around seven. Yeah? Wow. And I wasn't a musician really yet. Mm -hmm. I sort of slowly became one, and uh, the instrument that I ended up having some talent on and spending time with and studied was the French horn. I was a symphonic French horn player. And I went to uh, high school in Michigan for the arts called Interlochen. Mm -hmm. And then at the time, I would have stayed in Miami if there had been like a magnet school or something, but there wasn't. But that was a great experience. And then I came back and went to the University of Miami. By then, I was already kind of stretching out into singing and wanting to try to write some music and started noticing all the music surrounding me you know you'd i'd go with my grandfather to like the bait shop or something like that because he was his second career was as a charter boat fisherman right out of crandon park marina and 
you know, we'd stop, pass by like a little, what I didn't know at the time was called La Ventanita. Mm -hmm. And you'd hear this like Cuban music blaring out of it. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. And of course I had seen, you know, the I Love Lucy reruns on TV. So I already like knew that a little bit. I thought like Ricky Ricardo was a pretty cool dude. And um, then Santana happened and I oh, and I started yeah. messing around with congas and when I heard that percussion break in Black Magic Woman I was like there's something incredible about that I have to find out more about that nice. and it turned out that that was Cuban music he had Cuban mm-hmm. percussionists playing with him and that's the sound that really caught my attention at mm-hmm. the time and of course growing up in Miami you hear music at the University of Miami School of Music there was a lot of Latin influence uh, with the jazz band which I was a member of for a couple of years the the uh, University of Miami concert jazz band playing the French horn and my brother my older brother David is an extraordinary musician and so a lot he's, of He's he's the real musician in he's, the family yeah, truly <laughs> you know he makes me look like a hack he's like an incredible musician um and so, you know, kind of hearing it. And then when I made the transition to being a piano player, because I knew I didn't want to be a, a symphonic French horn player, I wanted to write music and do they, arrangements. They, they, and produce. they get all the chicks. The Symphon- piano guys. Symphonic French horn yeah, players. Well, that's you'd, you'd be surprised. Yeah, that's <laughs> You'd be surprised. Um, not. <laughs> um, Keyboard players do okay, but you're stuck behind the keyboard, and you can't. It's hard to do the pelvic thrust. It's hard to kick the mic stand down when yeah. you're when you're playing keyboard. Yeah, yeah. but when I started playing keyboard gigs um, in funk bands and you know like cover bands, um, it was a great additional education to the master's degree that I was doing in production at the University of Miami. It was a real world education. Yeah, and then I got a chance to audition for. Latin band and Miami historians will know El Grupo Alma Mm. Alberto Guerra was the founder and leader of the band and it was actually quite a good band with some really great musicians and I got in there they started talking about this thing La Clave and you know the rhythm and I was trying to figure it out and started figuring it out and um, it was a great experience they took me into the studio to help them record a song the engineer asked for my business card and before I knew it I was starting to do some more Latin gigs with people like Carlos Oliva and and Los Sobrinos de Juez in the studio right and eventually I think it was around 1987 or so I was contacted by Willie Chirino that he wanted to try me out to co-produce and arrange an album called Amandote oh my gosh so the I guess he liked what I was doing. I was kind of confused. I didn't really understand why, you know, this guy who could have anybody would pick a green guy who had never grown up in the music. But I quickly learned that he's into, like, the fusion thing and the El Sonido de Miami, the Latin Miami sound, is something that Carlos Oliva and and Willie kind of created, pretty much. And... um, the first that was salsa, water, by the way. That was what, That's right. Yeah. The first salsa arrangement Would you I like did, some? No. I felt you had a dry throat <laughs> with, all, with all the talking you're doing. Yeah. Well, he asked a question, so. Uh, so this is the actually the short version of it. The first salsa al- uh, arrangement I ever did was on that album. It was called Lo que está para ti. Lo que está para ti. 
That is this man's first salsa arrangement. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, my first time out, I just... Uh, yeah, just made a classic. <laughs> my first 10 films are excruciatingly bad. <laughs> right? What do you mean like your this first guy, 10? Right. <laughs> Set and spike. <laughs> All right. And light it, por favor. Oh, light it. And light it. I'm Wait. talking so much, my cigar went out. So why are you lighting? Yeah. So why are you lighting? Yeah. Hold on a second. So, yes. so you do... Uh, lo que está para ti. Lo que está para ti. Nadie te lo quita. Yeah. So you got the clave sound down, right? That was that that clave got into you pretty quick, right? Oh, well, Chirino clave. Well, you know what happened was um, in Chirino's band, and when I started producing with him, he asked me to direct the band too. Mm -hmm. So I was directing the band, and I my Spanish was pretty weak. I could more or less get along a little bit, but weak. And in the band were all these incredible Puerto Rican, Cuban, Latin American musicians. So directing the band, I had to do it in Spanish. And funny enough, I struck up a friendship with who I later found out was this kind of legendary conga player, Tani Hill. Mm -hmm. And he barely spoke English, but we kind of communicated fine. He started inviting me over to his place, and we would sit around in the office just jamming on percussion for hours. Wow. And that is how I really internalized La Clave mm -hmm. and didn't need to think about it anymore. It just became second nature. So that made up for the fact that I didn't grow up hearing Cuban music my whole childhood. So, so for those who don't know, and I'm going to ask you to use your hands for this, uh, to, with, with clapping it, uh, get, uh, describe with your hands, making a sound, what the clave is. I don't have claves with me, so. Well, the clave is an instrument. It's the two sticks that they mm -hmm. hit together and it goes. Right. But it's not just a rhythm. It's kind of a philosophy. It's uh, uh, the ebb and flow of the music rhythmically. So um, it's kind of got sort of rules. And if you break the rules, it's really not good because you're, you're against the clave. And that's like not good. Mm. So uh, I learned to really respect and even become sort of a, a reformed uh, a defender of the clave. So that's something I think it's something special about Caribbean music. Uh, Haiti has it, Brazil, mm -hmm. Puerto Rico, Cuba, you know, all Latin American tropical music contains this yeah, rhythm yeah. in one way or another. And it's a beautiful kind of a thing because it breathes back and forth. And just like breathing, you don't breathe in twice. You breathe in and you breathe out. So it's three, two, three, two. Or if you start on the two, it's two. Three, two, three. And it's always supposed to be like that. Yeah. And it can be a challenge uh, because 
uh, like once again, if you don't grow up in it, then you don't you don't necessarily get it. And that's one of the giveaways of a gringo trying to play salsa is mm. that they screw that up sometimes. Mm. Now we want to go back. I want to go back again to keep keep a skein, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so you're there, Key Biscayne. For, this, is, this is nostalgia time. Okay, so we're going back to Key Biscayne. The Tiger Sharks, uh, was the Tiger Shark already spinning at that time? Oh, yeah. At the front, at the entrance of Rickenbacker Causeway, right? Yep. Okay, so we're going back to that time, Crandon Park Zoo, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, here, you're here before or right at the time that a lot of the, the, the Cubans start arriving here, right, from, from Cuba. Well, I, Did you um, see the transition or, or were you, how, how was that? We were visiting from Connecticut to my grandparents' place every Christmas since I was like a year old. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I would, I started to see it. And yeah, I, I grew up in that time. Um, yeah. Manolo Reyes on Channel 4, I think it was, doing the only Spanish news that was available at the time on TV. And I would just watch it and not understand a word he was saying. I'd watch the whole thing. Interesting. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know. See, I didn't know about Manolo Reyes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a. Era medio bobito, Steve. <laughs> 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 Sitting there watching stuff you didn't understand. Well, there was nothing else on TV at the time that I cared you about. Skipper Chuck, man. That was in the morning. This okay. was like late at night, and I was like probably supposed to be in bed. But you know, okay. one of the things that, that Steve's told me over the years is obviously what a great influence his grandfather was in his life, but things he taught him, like appreciation for nature. And that's something that... As Miami grew, I think many Miamians have lost. Yeah. And that's our appreciation for the beauty that surrounds us in nature and, and the animals and the wildlife and the the the, the fauna. And talk yeah. a little bit about that, Steve. Yeah, what was your favorite place? I mean, what were some of your favorite places to go when you were a kid? Well, going deep sea fishing with my grandfather. Oh. He's a veterinarian. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I got a lot of love of animals. And, and this man, by the way, he'll still take pictures. I mean of like lizards yeah on a tuesday but that always puts a smile on my face because it always brings you back to kind of situate yourself where you are in this planet right and so steve will take a picture of like a turtle you know and i'm like okay great steve and you're on facebook everybody's (laughs) posting pictures of whatever you know yeah and then and then here's steve with his turtle yeah i appreciate those turtles thank you so, we can learn a lot of from other animals. So can I ask a maybe personal question? Of course. So your parents got divorced. You're seven years old? Uh, they were actually divorced when I was three. My dad passed away a few months after we moved to Miami. Oh. So, um, yeah, we were raised by my late great mother, Norma Jane, single mom of three, um, a high school art teacher, and uh, made it work, and she was an incredibly strong lady. That that's it, listening to you talk. I was not hearing certain things that yeah. re- resonated with my experience. But it sounds like you had a great man in your life, your grandfather. Oh, he was definitely the matriarch, uh, pa- patriarch, <laughs> and, and my brother sort of filled in a little bit of the gap he's about five years older than myself my dear sister Anne is the middle one and so just instinctively he kind of took over you know yeah very mature very early um was he the oldest yeah the oldest of the three of us but yeah grandpa was a giant he was a renaissance man he was he could have been a professional photographer he was really that good but he went the practical route and became 
a veterinarian and still was an award-winning photographer. Wow. Um, and just a brilliant guy. Loved music. He played the ukulele and loved to sing harmonies and, uh, you know, just a great guy. Very, very smart, smart man. Now, when you're a kid growing up, uh, you, uh, what other places did you like? You said you'd like to jump off the bridges into the canals. Where well, was, actually, where I need to because we, we, uh, when we moved to Kendall and my mom was able to purchase the first townhouse that, that she bought, it was around 104th Street. And just after 107th at that time was you pick em fields that was it yeah yeah 107th avenue yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, avenue rather yeah. Yeah, yeah and so the canal there we would just jump in water moccasins and all you know we didn't, <laughs> we, we didn't care we just like and yeah. of course because i was trying to They're catch still there. turtles i was a turtle collector mm-hmm. and i liked snakes and all that stuff so yeah that um it was for me i was like in paradise and i still feel like i live in paradise i love this place i love this area Uh, i'm a dade county guy i love miami i live in north miami but i hang out a lot in little havana yeah oh it's a great place to hang out yeah yeah we were there just last night yeah so um well so you you have this love for uh for for nature i'm just trying to get a uh a picture of the place of how you grew up and where you grew up. What was what was some of the crazy things you did when you were a kid in Miami that probably kids wouldn't have experienced? You mean other else? than like diving into water moccasins? Water moccasins, yeah. 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 <laughs> Besides water moccasins and alligators uh, swim, catching, you know, what did you do? I, I wasn't really that crazy other than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, once I started getting into music, which was a little later, and thank God I really got into it, it saved me from from being... A somewhat rebellious and angst-filled kid who resented the fact that I didn't have a dad. But beyond that, that my mom, although she did a fabulous job with us, had a certain point beyond which she would not go. And I actually vividly remember being in fifth or sixth grade. And um, What school? Kendale Elementary. Okay. And um, and I went to my mom one one night, one evening, and I said, Mom, you know, there's nothing we can do about the fact that there's only one parent. But it would be nice if, you know, we got to spend more time with you. And she looked at me and she said, Honey, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Mm. And with tears running down my face, I went down to my turtle collection, put them mm. in a Publix bag... And started running away. And wow. I got about half a block down. And I said, what the <laughs> hell am I doing? And I had no plan. So I came back, put the turtles back, and went mm-hmm. to my room. And I was kind of angry. Yeah. And uh, when I found music, um, I was messing around with the trumpet. It was a weird thing. Uh, and then um, I kind of by accident started playing the French horn and for whatever reason I got obsessed with this instrument and I got really good really fast thanks to John Casparo my private teacher who um, taught me a heck of a lot so by the time I was in ninth grade it was a little bit embarrassing by that time we had moved to North Miami Beach and I was at North Miami Beach Senior High School Mm. and it was kind of awkward to have beat out all the seniors and bigger kids and be the first chair French horn in the high school orchestra. And I was one of the best in the state. Yeah. And that's when I ended up 
getting lucky and going to Interlochen, and that place really saved me because it was it was uh, instead of being the outcast, um, a lot of people in the arts in public schools, um, and just people gifted in all kinds of ways feel like the outcast. Um, you know, you're you're not part of the cool table at the cafeteria or whatever. And when I got to Interlochen, it was different because everybody else was like me. They were all into their theater and their music and their art and their dance and yeah. whatever. And it was incredibly nur- nurturing situation. Mm-hmm. The faculty was top-notch. I f- started awakening in academics, which had been sort of dormant. I was okay, but just n- almost by accident. And there I really blossomed in that, in that way. Interesting, yeah, yeah. So I, I, did, I picked up one instrument middle school and it was a french horn Mm. no way (laughs) my condolences yes thank you because i hated that thing because i had to walk to and from school i went to riviera middle school and that for a little scrawny middle school kid that thing's heavy to carry several blocks back (laughs) try a bass (laughs) or a bass yeah Yeah. did i ever tell you what i played what believe it or not i played an instrument a tuba no saxophone yeah that's right and you know why why Clarence Clemens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to be a large black man that played saxophone for Bruce Springsteen. That was my goal. That was my goal for fifth grade. That was my fifth grade goal. There are worse things to be. There are worse things to be. Yeah. Did you ever play anything, Joe? Uh, no, man. I, I um. Other than no, the record? No, other than the records. And I would love music. And music is my greatest passion. Um, more so than film, even. And uh, no, I, I was awful. I, 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 you know. Well, I was a saxophone dropout. I mean, to say I right, played it. Right. Oh, hey, yeah. By to, the way, French yeah. horn <laughs> is one of the, uh, they, they told me, really, you want to play that? That's one of the hardest brass instruments to play. And I said, yeah, I want to play it. I could, I could never, I mean, uh, it was like I never started. <laughs> it was horrible. Right. Yeah. And so like, I, like many Cuban families, we had a piano in the house because mm, my sister oh, yeah. played piano, my aunt, my sister, all my girl cousins played piano, and they were piano teachers. So, music was around me all the time and i would watch my sister taking lessons at first and then giving lessons later and i was just i was awful so i you know i just yeah. i'll just sit on the sidelines and listen racky played the piano when she was little too. i did yeah yeah and you introduced me to billy joel right and he became my favorite artist mm-hmm. and then i started playing but I'm really impatient, and I couldn't play like him right away, so I was like, I don't want to do this, and I stopped. Yeah, she was going to be the piano girl. I joke about Clarence Clemens, but my mom was a single mom who raised three kids and Mm. got her master's while doing it. Wow. And so what she would do to spend time with us, because it was a lot, same, we were functional. We, We just were getting through stuff. My mom's amazing. She would take us out on dates. She would get sitters for the other two kids and take one of us out for a special night and one of the nights was she took me to downtown Chicago went to this bar I think it's still there it's called Andy's I couldn't tell you the band it was a three piece blues band and the last song the last set the saxophone player got up on this huge oak oval bar that went through the whole place and finished the song walking on the top of the bar playing saxophone sweet can't do that with a keyboard (laughs) you can get a guitar yeah So, Steve, speaking of that, what, what are some of your influences? Well, uh, when, influences? when when I was into the French horn, uh, there was a, a British, well, he had passed away by the time I was there, a British 
French horn player named Dennis Brain, and I just fell in love with his phrasing and his sound and tried to emulate it. Um, in music, uh, I was a pop music fan from the beginning. Uh, my mom would give me a very modest little allowance, and then I would walk the neighbor's dogs in the in the apartment building and for five cents a walk. I think I was undercharging. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I needed a manager, so I couldn't afford much, and I'd go to, like... Um, I don't know, Woolworths or somewhere and buy a 45. I did have a nice little, I don't think it was like a close and play, but it was something similar to that, oh, like yeah. some, some little turntable in my room. And I'd play, you know, Hooked on a Feeling or, uh, you know, Stevie Wonder. And, and when I discovered James Brown, it was all over. Oh, man. <laughs> Imagine, I got one year for the holidays, I got one of those little beige rectangular transistor radios. Mm-hmm. And imagine me walking around like South Miami or wherever he lived at the time with the thing plastered to my ear, listening to the WBUS and, and saying, say it loud. I'm black and I'm pl- proud. And, you know, an wow. eight-year-old's. WBUS. I never heard that one. What was the one we used to listen to on AM radio? The, the QAM. It was QAM, QAM and the QAM. bus. They were the competition. Yeah. And uh, so I've always loved funk. And... Uh, not a huge rock fan mm-hmm. and my brother uh, being into jazz was always a big influence so I really um, started to learn jazz my brother is probably my best most important mentor and influence mm-hmm. um, just a, an extraordinary musician and a beautiful spirit about him they're just nurturing and um, always positive he he taught me incredible stuff what is his name David Reutstein David Reutstein yeah, he's yeah. the chair of the jazz department at CalArts University, wow. which is the school that was founded by Walt Disney. Yeah, exactly. And um, so you can imagine it's kind of a free thinking place um, and designed that way. And he has um, put together a program there, um, which has mentored and created a lot of very well-known successful musicians mm. over the 30 years that he's been there. Wow. Wow. Okay, so we're going to pick up again on... Uh Lo que está para ti, nadie te lo quita. Yeah. Okay, so you, 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 that's the first one you... Uh, the first referenced. salsa arrangement that okay. I did, because the rest of the album is more fusion. Right. Um, that one was more pure salsa. Not pure, pure, pure salsa, but very close. Mm-hmm. But there were, like, the title song of the album, Amandote, yeah. was really not exactly salsa. In fact, you can almost hear my earth, wind, and fire influence oh, sure. in, in the brass, because yeah. yeah. I was an earth, wind, and fire freak. Yeah. And so it's there in the brass, and um, you know, there's like R and B all over that song. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's that's the song that's a standout song for me from that from that album. For yeah, sure. and yeah. and I I didn't realize at the time, but Chirino was teaching me not only about Cuban music and arranging, but how to write a song and how to choose a song because Lo que está para ti was not written by Willie Chirino; it was written by the late great Titi Soto. And uh, who wrote a lot of Willie's hits. Okay. And Willie has always been smart enough to notice a great song when he finds it mm-hmm. and record it and put his stamp on it, his personality. Um, and, of course, we were co-arranging and co-producing. It was a real collaboration. Right. So, so what, what, uh, that song, what, uh, what other songs would I recognize from Armando Day? Um, Joe. 
lo que está para ti, amándote, eh, carta a un amigo, which is a, a beautiful song that Paquito de Rivera plays on. Um, what else is on that album? You made that album. I'm asking you. <laughs> um, you know, that's the first album. I was back in Miami from USF, and I was going to FIU, and it's the first album, Chirino album, that I owned, that I bought. On vinyl? Um, um, I bought the cassette, yeah, and um, I was I was interning at FM ninety two, the old radio station, and I thought, wow, right, and I and I bought this album. <laughs> when my mom saw it, she was like, "You, Chirino," hmm. <laughs> um, and smiled because she saw the yeah. reacculturation happening, right? And um, and I read this name on the cover, Steve Roitstein, and I said, "Wow." This is like some Argentine Jewish guy who produces <laughs> Chirino. What an interesting phenomenon. How did this happen? But the name always stuck with me because then I'd saw him on a couple other Chirino albums and I'd see it around and I'd be, who's this Steve Reutstein guy? So I pictured this like schnazzy kind of, you know, lounge lizard kind of guy, you know, that yeah, was writing, that was, yeah, <laughs> that was, that was writing salsa hits, right? Right, right. And uh, when I met Steve, it was like, wow, that was like a, bu a bucket list. I met Steve Reutz. You're Steve Reutz. You can't be Steve Reutzstein. Um But yeah, he's a, he, Steve, getting to know Steve, he's a very humble person. And I mean, he's been involved in music that, at least in salsa world, can be ranked right up there with anything. I mean, Chirino's music, you know, Nuestro Día Viene Llegando, you know, Ya Viene Llegando. Um, Steve was part of that and, wow. and very, very much a part of that. And he'll talk about that as we move along. But, yeah. but those are quintessential, uh, I think, salsa staples forever. And so that Steve Reutstein name is embedded in people's minds and hearts, I think, for forever, for eternity. Yeah. So, so tell me about... Well, wait, can I... I oh, want to... Yeah, sure. Because you're talking about this kind of really impressive progression and it's something that i think i've experienced but i would like to hear from your point of view again jewish kid from connecticut right it sounds like that was never an issue for anybody else no it never really was um i mean nothing that i really ever paid attention to uh, let's put it that way um i i will say that um from a from very early on, when I started with El Grupo Alma in Maxim's on Southwest oh 8th Street. Gosh, Maxim's, and like, uh, whatever, 70. And, and you'll reserve some of those stories. Um, <laughs> but it was like, I, I was just, I, it's like I had died and gone to heaven. It's like the Cuban culture was something that just fascinated me. I was like, these people know how to party, first of all. And um, the music just so rich, obviously the food. Um, I didn't really smoke cigars at the time. That came later. The yeah. cafecito cubano, Cuban coffee, and um, and the women. Or, of course, you know, sure. Uh, you know, so I was like, "This is this is amazing," and I, I was just happy. I just felt <laughs> comfortable. When the language barrier was an issue, I think people always appreciated the fact that I was making an effort right. to speak. Right, and I participated in in a program that I call El Plan Caradura, which means the literally the hard face plan. 
just jump in and talk and do whatever you can and string a sentence or two together somehow. And people sometimes in a nice way will correct you. A few people laugh, but it's only because it's just funny. They're not really laughing at right, you. Right, right. And like I said, I think people just appreciated that it was trying. And within a couple of years, I, I started doing pretty well. See, I, I moved here when I was 24 the first time. And it's it's very similar. It's it's this lust for life, this appreciation, this exuberance. Yeah. But it's also inclusion. Yeah. I never felt left out. I felt, it was it was open armed. Hey, come, yeah. you know, just come on in. I was made family right away. But you know, Matt, you say that, and it, you know, I've visited Chicago several times in my life, and. I find that there's something about Chicagoans and Midwesterners in general, but particularly Chicagoans is a big city kind of feel, but yet small town kind of ambiance. I right? always felt like there was a lot of similarity yeah. between Chicago. I mean, the climate Cubans. couldn't be more different. Right. But the attitude. The, the attitude. The, yeah. Yeah. Comment on that. Did you found the similarities? Oh, absolutely. Because there's, um, and this is like, you know, armchair psychology or whatever, but the kind of the the tough attitude of the exiles yeah kind of the blue collar hardworking well, the exile kind of. of you don't want us screw you we're going to make it 10 times better here was a lot like the chicago attitude of like yeah this place is incredibly uh inhospitable inhospitable that's a great way to put it but we make it hospitable right right that's the chicago mentality like you don't get used to the cold you just say the cold won't beat you right that's that the 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 stockyards aren't going to beat you. The the steel mill is not going to beat you. And, and and but it's just that was a very similar love story that I that I experienced. And well, you mentioned somebody mentioned the word family, and I think that was that was an attraction to me as well because uh, not that my family was dysfunctional, but it was like slightly broken. And and when I saw a lot of these two three four generation families living together in the same home and finding a place for everybody and everyone taking care of of course i'm generalizing because there are plenty of broken families in the latino community as well but um what i was seeing was different of course i had my brother who married a half cuban so Mm. His his David's wife Rosie's mom was Doctora Rosalina Saxton, hmm. um, professor emeritus of piano at the University of Miami. She passed. Who just away. recently passed, right? And um, so I got to see that close up. She was like almost like a second mom to me. And Rosalina family was number one for her and Harold. May he rest in peace as well. Harold Saxton, a Jew who had the sense to grab this gorgeous young intelligent talented mm. cuban pianist yeah yeah and uh so i i kind of had that as a model and my brother learned how to be a dad from them wow um because we didn't have that right. in our family didn't have that model and so i that i think that was part of it mm-hmm. uh, part of the attraction you know as i got to know People like Willie and, um, you know, Tani and my other friends who, you know, had these extended families that were tight and that watched out for each other and took care of each other. I was like, yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So you um, tell us about soy and I'm not talking about the sauce. Ah, (laughs) soy is um, 
I, uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure of the story of when Willie wrote the song. I think there was a there was an album and they needed an extra song. First and, album. And, and was when he, when Willie was first starting out, and he kind of wrote it like in a hurry. And sometimes those are the best. And that song is just one of those magical songs. Yeah. I about here they produced that album, mm-hmm. the famous Cuban comic, and Willie says that uh, they were short a song. So Alberto Hale calls him and he says, "Listen, you're short a song. You got to have eight songs at least on this LP." And he wrote it on his guitar in a break between sets at the hotel he was playing on the beach, and um, you know he played it for Alberto Hale, and Alberto Hale stuck it as the fourth song on the B side. Ah. Wow. Okay. But the DJs really liked it. And one DJ in a rolled radio station called the Fabulosa began playing Soy. And the rest, as they say, is history. Those are the old days when a DJ could actually play the songs that he wanted to play or she. Um, when I, uh, talking about Amandote, the, one of the recent, I think it's the most recent recording of that song, if I'm not mistaken. He might have re-recorded it again, but I don't think so. The original version that he came out with was it One Man Alone? Was that the, was that the album? Um, it kind of I think he felt like it needed a refresh, mm-hmm. so that was one of the ones that that I arranged. And um, again, you got the horns there and a little bit, but it, that's kind of salsa feeling a little bit. Just a great song. Uh, it's, and Willie Willie's an incredible composer, in my opinion. He's uh, he's yeah. really gifted. Um, he works hard at it. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to take a little break here because this was a great fun night that lasted a long time. So we're actually going to do this in two parts, and that was part one. So come on back and enjoy part two on Elector. <laughs> 